Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our reading is from Genesis chapter 3, verses 15 to 19. It takes us back to that grim time in the Garden of Gethsemane. God said, I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head, and you will crush his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pain in childbearing. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat from it. The soil is cursed on account of you. You will eat from it with painful labor all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles will spring up from the ground for you, but you will eat the crops of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread until you return to the soil, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. These are your loving words, Heavenly Father. Your word is truth. Amen. Dear redeemed in the Lord, the theme for our Lenten series is Road to the Redemption, and it takes the, an Old Testament lesson and compares it to something in the New Testament related to the Savior. That road led through two gardens that we're going to be talking about tonight. The first garden was Eden, where God commanded his people to obey him, but they failed at a very high cost. The second garden is Gethsemane, where the God-man Jesus was obedient to his Father's will, even though it was at a greater cost. We'll consider the events in those two gardens this evening as we also see what is ahead for us in yet another garden with the theme, Garden to Garden. After life in the first garden was ruined, Adam and Eve could only look to God's promise of a redeemer. But I want you to take a second and just put in your mind a thought of what would it be like if you were either Adam or Eve and you got to live in the Garden of Eden in a perfect place and you had a perfect life? You'd never get sick. You'd never be hungry. You'd never die. So there would be nothing that would ever make you sad. In a perfect Eden, nothing would harm you, ever. You'd never have anything to fear. Day or night, wouldn't matter. And life would not be difficult. Even giving birth to children would have no pain. And learning, if there is such a thing as school, maybe there would be. But what you would, you would be amazed. It wouldn't be a chore. The children, you'd be amazed. Learning about the wonder and the order of God's creation day after day. It would always be an exciting thing. And just think you'd never have to make a sacrifice of any kind to God because you were perfect. 
And you yourself, in a sense, were a living sacrifice to God. And so there would never be a concern about that either. There's no sin. And I think the greatest thing of all, it certainly would be for me, is to think that in the evening, God appeared and would talk with me, with you. Wouldn't that be amazing? Could anything be better than that? Well, according to the devil, yes. He was tempting Eve to think there is something better than that. He told her that there was a fruit that had been forbidden that could give her more knowledge, a knowledge of good and of evil. And Eve have done. What a temptation. But she's perfect. She could have said, you know, I understand what you're saying, but God has said this. You shall not eat of that tree. And that's it. And, he, and Adam, who's standing with her, is no better, is he? Because he could have said, Eve, stop. Let's not do this. It's going to bring such harm to us. No, both of them failed. They put their trust in the words of the devil rather than in the words of God. Can you imagine? Oh, we can imagine. We're tempted to do that all the time. Well, they took the fruit, and Adam and Eve suddenly knew evil. Not only did they know evil, they became slaves to evil. The garden could have been renamed. Let's not call it the Garden of Eden anymore. Let's call it the Garden of Disobedience and the Garden of Despair. For you see, from now on, animals are afraid of people, and Adam and Eve are afraid of God appearing in the evening. To look for them. No. They felt their guilt of sin. They tried to hide and cover their disobedience by hiding from God in the bushes. But God appeared and he exposed their sin. He confronted them with the law. Their rebellion would have consequences. Childbirth for women would be painful. And there would now be strife between husband and wife. The ground was cursed for Adam because of that sin that he had done. No matter what Adam tried, the work would be toilsome and it would be frustrating. Instead of the ground yielding to Adam, in time Adam would yield his body to the ground. For dust he was, and because of sin, to dust he would return. And unless God intervened, their sin would separate them from God forever. But our gracious God did intervene. He did not have them instantly die, as he, they deserved. And he confronted them out of love, so that they would see how awful their sin was. Even as he confronts us with the word so that we repent. God lovingly expelled Adam and Eve from the garden so they wouldn't eat of that tree of life and live forever in that garden of despair. He also made a promise so that they could believe in it 
and be saved from his eternal judgment. They heard God say to the devil, I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head and you will crush his heel. We are the descendants of Adam and Eve. We have followed along that same road of disobedience. As sinners, we also try to make excuses for our rebellion. Everyone else is doing it. Or we try to cover it and hide it. But God knows all. He sees everything. He knows every one of our thoughts. And the wages, in the end, the wages of sin is still death, now and forever. But God has revealed these truths to us in his word so that we might be sorry for our sins and also believe his promise. What do we learn from Genesis 3.15? Well, certainly we learn the devil is an enemy of all people, but especially he is the enemy of believers. He wants every one of us lost. He wants every one of us to doubt God's word and to believe his false teachings and words so that we fall into sin and despair. We cannot give in to temptation, no matter how small, insignificant it may be. Do not give the devil a chance to get his foot into the door of your life. Yes, the devil won the initial conflict in Eden, but God promised there was going to be another battle when the seed of the woman, the God-man, Jesus Christ, would crush the devil's head. And God continued to make promises like that generation after generation for hundreds and then thousands of years. For the road to redemption took many thousands of years before it would be completed. But we read in Galatians 4.4, when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman. What is Paul saying by those words? Exactly what God promised. I have kept my promise. Here's the seed that was promised to Adam and Eve so long ago in the garden. He is now born of a woman, a descendant who would battle and destroy the works of the devil. Jesus had gone to Gethsemane in obedience to his heavenly father. While he is in that garden, he felt that immense pressure, I guess a torture almost, of what the work was going to be. He called it a cup of suffering. Just imagine all the wrath of God in a cup and drinking it down to the very last drop of suffering. He was getting God's full anger for all sin. Now, we can be sure during this time the devil was there. He was tempting him to try to keep him from completing that work that Jesus knew he had to do. But Jesus did not fail. He turned to his heavenly Father in prayer. In complete submission to God, he prayed, Your will be done. He was the perfect Savior to reverse the consequences of sin, a Savior that we desperately need. Paul wrote, through the disobedience of one man, the many became sinners. 
so also through the obedience of one man, the many will become righteous. So because of Jesus in Gethsemane, we can call Gethsemane by another name too, the Garden of Obedience. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus should do this for us? Everyone should say, yes, praise Jesus. But what happened to him and his perfect obedience that night? In the garden, Judas betrayed him to his enemies. In that same garden, his disciples deserted him. In that same garden of obedience, he was arrested and driven out of that garden by his enemies and then taken and put on trial by the Jewish leaders and then Pontius Pilate. And then you know where he was led to a third garden. Did you know he was led to a third garden? You ever see the pictures of Calvary? Doesn't you, know, you see this barren rocky hill, some crosses up on top? You ever see much around it? Read John 19, verse 41. There was a garden at the place where Jesus was crucified. Now, because this hill by the garden had three deadly crosses of execution on it, and the center of this garden had at least one tomb, we know that we can call it the Garden of Death. And Jesus, our perfect Savior, was willing to be there to take God's curse of death, the very eternal suffering of all sins. And because of Jesus' death, he was willing to crush, then, the serpent's power by taking away the power of death by suffering the eternal torments of hell. Because Christ was innocent in his death, the serpent's power of sin and death was now destroyed. It has no hold over him, and it has no hold over anyone who believes in him. So Paul wrote, the wages of sin is death, but the undeserved gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once Christ died on the cross, and he said, it is finished, his friends laid him in that garden tomb. <clears throat> but Jesus, our innocent Savior, could not be held there in that garden of death. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ's risen body is the guarantee that the bodies of all believers will be raised, and they will join him in the glory of heaven forever on the day he returns in glory. Of course, our souls are not going to need to wait until that time, the moment a believer dies. That soul is going to be with Jesus. We understand that from Jesus' words to that dying thief on the cross, when he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Now that's an interesting word, paradise. What does it picture? It pictures a fourth garden. Revelation, in chapter 2, Jesus promised to the one who is victorious, that is, remains in the saving faith, I will give the privilege to eat from the tree of life, 
which is in the paradise of God. And that garden of life, and that's what we'll call it, is the garden of life, is described even further in Revelation chapter 22. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, in the middle of the city street, and on each side of the river was a tree of life. There will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. His servants will worship him forever and ever. Notice what is not in this paradise. There's no tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because, of course, the devil, the source of evil, has been banned for eternity away from heaven. There is also no curse of God from sin because Jesus took that curse as he hung on the cross. And now he replaced it with his holy life, which we will have on that day and we'll fit right in in that perfect place. All believers in Jesus with glorified bodies <clears throat> will praise the Lord forever along with Adam and Eve and all others of who believe in him. This is the redemption that was promised so long ago in the Garden of Eden. Jesus kept that promise to destroy the devil's power of sin and death. And he gives us the strength now through his word to stand against that devil as well. But if in weakness we should fall into sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ himself, who will make intercession for us with his death and with his perfect life. Our sins are forgiven. Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane and then to a garden tomb and then to paradise. And we can be certain with Jesus as our Savior that when we finish our journey in this world, we will be in paradise with him. Earlier, I described what it would be like to be in Eden, in a perfect world. Take that and about a thousand more glorious things and add to it without uh, any more childbirth, but all the other things and so much more is what will be waiting for us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. And now the peace of God that passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Continue with the hymn.